You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I went for a, a long run yesterday, Bracken, with some quality miles in it. And I was reminded that uh, I haven't done much speed work lately. What happened? Well, uh, I did this workout. It was alternating miles on my long run. So six reps of one mile hard, like sub threshold, one mile recovery, one mile hard, which is a lot of rest, but I haven't done anything fast since like before my 37 miler for my 37th birthday. Uh, You want to take a stab at what my first hard mile was, Bracken? I'm embarrassed. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Okay. I was there right around 5.30 and it felt bad. Wow. You're just like, how did you know? I ran 5.29 and it felt, it was like I had never run that speed before. I haven't done anything under six minute pace since pre-birthday run. In fact, since my 5K time trial, like four or five Did it get better? Or did it get worse as you like, did you never recover or did you loosen up and like shake some stuff off? I'm glad you asked. So it got better. Thank, thankfully. Uh, and so I went 529 and I went 521, 516, 514, five, I ended at 509, but I'm telling you, this brought me to a, a thought of a previous episode of ours that even though I did a two mile warm up and I had a rolling start into that first hard mile, I still ran 529 and it felt like I was hit by a truck, like my body was, did not know what was happening to it. And it took me like two hard miles to get my body to feel comfortable running hard. And it made me think back to our, uh, to our little warm up and cool down episode. We, Cause I did not properly warm up. I just did two casual miles and rolled into a hard effort and it felt like shit. Does that surprise you at all? No, but it also reminds me of the interval workout conversation of, if you're not running really fast, semi-regularly, running moderately fast is not easy. Yeah, it wasn't easy at all. And in fact, I started to feel comfortable my third rep. I was like, oh, 516, I finally feel like my body's accepting this. But if it was a, st- a race start and I hadn't, like I took me over 10 minutes of hard effort running to get my body ready to like work. And it just made me think like if, if I just did a casual two mile warm up and didn't put any hard efforts in there and then went to race, I would have been blown, my doors would have been blown off of me in the first mile and I would have been lost because I didn't technically do a proper warm up. That's bizarre. So your, your lack of warm up and your lack of like true speed work lately, it, you had to get that, those reps in during your first several reps of the workout. Yeah, it was just a good reminder. I mean, I'm planning to filter in some more speed into my workouts coming up now. I was just curious where I would naturally be at for this workout. And, you know, I gave myself plenty of recovery, you know, with a whole mile jog in between reps. But um, yeah, man, it begins. It begins. That's a timely message. Right after we talk about that, you go out, implement it, and it kicks you in the teeth. I like it. You like that, huh? Yeah, I like I like see like watching other people get kicked in the teeth and then making Learning their changes. Their yeah. I didn't have to feel it, but I get the satisfaction of watching you improve it. And you know, the thing was, is I was working harder to run that five thirty 
or 529, my first harder, harder effort than I was to run 516, 514. Even my last mile in 509 was easier than my first mile at 530, like mentally, physically, everything. And it was just, you know, I thought I could just slap a, a quick mile in the beginning of this workout and I'd just jump right into pace and I was wrong. So hmm. I guess we got to learn our hard lessons over and over again, don't we? It's the only way we, that's the only way we retain that knowledge is to yeah. get slapped with it semi-regularly. Yep. So that was good. So now I'm going to lead into a little bit more quicker, quicker work and get some of that turnover back. I'm going to apply some of the things we chatted about in our last interval conversation with quicker finishers on some of my threshold runs and getting some of the turnover back because this long run Saturday was a good slap in the face. Yeah, I tell you, so I got this notebook right here as always, and I've been taking notes from our own guests in our own interviews lately because I have surgery coming up soon now. And I am just constantly adding little notes in about things that I have to avoid screwing up on when I come back. So what, what you just did yesterday is going to be another little note in there, like do not neglect speed. It's true, man. I'll tell you what, though, you know, I knew I'd be a little sluggish for this workout, but it was just another reminder that like intense work in your warm up is so dang important. And like you have to really do some work before your body's actually ready to do the real work. Mm -hmm. And so so it was a good reminder. Um, by the way, you just held up your notebook. Did you see all the uh, posts that came in with people that bought multicolored pens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I was so proud and I was a little offended. They stole your idea. Like that's my thing. But it was so cool because that would have been the coolest gift for all of us to receive in like 1994. <laughs> and now people are going back. Amazon's looking like, why is there a surge in multi-click Bic pens? It was like six people, but yes. That has to be a surge in that marketplace. That's that's true. I actually was at the grocery store and there's that little, you know, paper pens greeting card aisle. And I saw one in there and I almost grabbed it, but I didn't want to be like a uh, wannabe, you know, so I, I didn't get it, but I still make because I like the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Color code everything. Bit goes you royalties. Before we jump into the real meat and potatoes of the, the podcast, we have two exciting announcements to make. First is exciting for someone else. Second is exciting for everybody on this entire planet that we call Earth. Damn so, it. I am so pumped for this. Right. We'll lead, so off pumped. With our, lead off with our contest winner. Um, is this our last contest winner? Yes, yeah, our fourth week of our contest. So basically, you had to write a review for us on any uh, podcast outlet. And uh, we randomly picked a winner for a free month of coaching with either yours truly or Bracken Cracker. And yeah, it's our last, uh, it's our last go around. So uh, no more free coaching coming at you for a while, folks. We're sorry. We had 71 um, qualified reviews that fit the time slot. Um, which we should do a little not so humble break. 71 reviews alone is more than most podcasts mm -hmm. around us on the ratings. So you guys are doing incredible. But as fate would have it, our random number generator selected number 69. Number 69. And yeah. so Kirk, go ahead with your with your drum roll and announcer. All right, the contest winner is Todd underscore L underscore 455. Todd L455, brother, maybe sister, I don't know. You got yourself a free month of coaching. Congratulations. Yeah, we, we should probably be done trying to guess people's identities off their, <laughs> off their screen names. I saw Sandy tagged us in another post this weekend. Yeah, we lost that right with Sandy a couple weeks ago. But Todd L with the underscores, I now know his name's not Toddle. It's not Toddle. Right, right. That's a good point, Sandy. You could have learned a lesson from Toddle. So Toddle, reach out. 
uh, message the running public's Instagram account and let us know who you're going to choose. We'll give you an email to, uh, to, to contact, and then we'll send you an athletic questionnaire and get the old ball rolling. But now, now to the really exciting news. Oh, Kirk, you want me to lay it out? This is kind of your brainchild. Well, I did have the idea initially, but we, it, it was a small idea. So Folks, we are going to offer and encourage you to uh, race with us coming up. We are creating two virtual races for you to do on your own over the weekend of the 4th of July. This is very exciting. This is official. There's going to be prize money up for grabs. Uh, but these races aren't, I would say, your average races, are they, Bracken? Now, now on 4th of July, it's pretty standard to do your 4th of July 5K, 5-miler, five 4-miler. They like to do alliteration, so 4th of July, 4-mile, firecracker, 5-mile, whatever it's going to be. We're putting our compromised running spin on things because I feel like if there is one thing that people take away from our podcast, it is that compromised running is king. What percent of your max capacity can you keep when you are fatigued. And so we are putting on two, count them, two compromised run races for the weekend of 4th of July. We are going to take a small entry fee from everybody, and we are just going to split the money amongst the winners, men and women, top three. Yes, we are. All right. So event number one, folks, is the Burpee 10K. All right. The Burpee 10K is going to be a suck fest, and I hope you're up for it. In fact, you better be up for it. The Burpee 10K is this. Now, Bracken and I went back and forth on how many burpees to do, and I won the argument. On the, <laughs> I, I wanted less because I'm I a, wanted more. I'm weak. Oh, please. Yeah, you got a little bit of the height thing going. That makes it a little harder. Um, so the Burpee 10K, folks, is 20 burpees every half mile for the duration of a 10K. So that means burpee at half mile, mile, mile and a half, so on and so forth. And you do burpees at mile six and then finish out your point two to finish your 10K. So every half mile, 20 burpees. Uh, the only clean running you get, folks, is that first half mile before you, you hit that first set of burpees. Um, it's going to be a suck fest. I have an idea what the time could possibly be for a winner, but I want you, sh- you folks to show me. Yeah, we're not going to put a ceiling on you. You're going to determine your own ceiling. Kirk, how many burpees is that total? I think it comes out to 240. 240 burpees. 6.2 miles or 10 kilometers for the people living in the, the non-civilized world. And it's going to be miserable, but it's going to show us who the best compromised runner in the running public truly is. Yes, it is. And see, I just didn't think 15 burpees every half mile would suck enough. Like you hear, oh, 15 burpees half every half mile and you roll your eyes you're like, oh, that's going to be tough. You hear 20 burpees and you're like, ugh, I don't know about that. And that's what we want. So that's what we're going with. And for those of you who think, like myself, I don't do burpees in races, I'm not doing them in your virtual race, Kirk DeWint, I have a second option for you. So the real race of the weekend, Kirk, the real money race is going to be the running public beer mile. The beer mile, folks. Now, before we turn anyone off with this, there is you, we're going to follow the international beer mile rules with one caveat, non-alcoholic beer is allowed. Yes. We don't want to limit this to to only alcohol consumers. So you can do not you can do any beer, and you are still in the running for the prize. Which means Nicole Miracle, you might be able to take this thing down now. Yeah. But it's going to be a classic beer mile. The gun goes. You drink a beer, finish it, tip it upside down to ensure that it's empty, and then you run a lap and you repeat that four times, and that is it. You're not doing burpees. 
you don't have to fight the the upper body fatigue you just have to fight the carbonation <laughs> you're you're directing people towards this beer mile bracken well that's the one i'm going to be doing because i can't do burpees with my knee i also can't run but i'm going to do a power walking beer mile i'm going to set the world power walking beer mile record mm, really work those hips bracken really work Oof. those hips oh i'm bow-legged and, and pigeon-toed as it is so I, I feel like i'm made for power for power walking <laughs> you probably are all right so the stipulations um, we're going to lay this all out online for you, but we are creating uh, event pages on Eventbrite. You can sign up for either one, the Burpee Mile or the Burpee 10K or the Beer Mile or both. Um, entry for both is $25, so $25 a piece. And all any sort of profit other than like the underlying operating costs are going back to the participants. So um, 50% of uh, what we take in is going to the winner. 30% is going to second place and 20% is going to third place. So for example, if we got 40 male participants in the Burpee 10K, that would roughly put it at about 500 bucks for the winner, 300 bucks for second and 200 bucks for third. So there's some real money up for grabs here, folks. And I think we can uh, we can get a, a gathering uh, to really make this happen. And same thing for women. We're taking all the male participants and split it amongst the males, all the, the female participants prize money or entry money and splitting it amongst the females. Yes, we are. So you are in control of your own prize money. Yes, you are. <laughs> you, want, you want to build up your bankroll, you better get your friends to sign up. That's true. Good point. Um, so with this... Um, My pits are, are sweating, Kirk. I just oh, broke yeah. out in a, in a hot Woo! sweat because of this. I don't know if you can see it, but... oh, there's you, can probably, you can probably skip your warm-up. I know you're working out after this. Yeah. Man, yeah. I'm all fired <laughs> up about this competition. Uh, so here we're going to do. We're going to give you two days to get it done over that weekend. Um, you can, so if you want to do both, uh, events, you will have two days to get them done, which means you can do one, one day, one, the other, we're going to open it up at like 1201 on Friday morning. So just after midnight on Thursday, technically, and we're going to close it down at midnight on Saturday or 1159 PM on Saturday. So we're going to give you a Friday and Saturday of that 4th of July weekend to get one or both done. Um, and we are going to create a Strava group for you to register, uh, so we can see your data. And we are on our system with this bracket, which uh, we trust these uh, OCR are, are good, uh, noble folk, right? Well, I trust you as far as I can throw you. So no? <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's the way it's going to work. You have to join the Strava group in order to have your our leaderboard updated constantly. So we're going to create the running public group on Strava, and then we're going to have an event on there, which is either the Beer Mile or the Burpee 10K. And so as you submit it, you just submit it to that group, and then, boom, we see your results. However, two, uh, the, the Burpee 10K is totally on our system. It's on you. Do good burpees, <laughs> run them, do them all. For the Beer Mile, though, we're going to need some verification. So we're just going to keep track of the leaderboard. And at Saturday at midnight, when it cuts off, we are going to go through and contact the top three men and women and ask for their video submission. This is a requirement for the competition. So you have to have someone filming you doing this the entire time, and we're going to watch it. So if you cannot provide that within, so at, what are we going to say? At midnight, <laughs> we're going to contact the top three. Yeah, and sure. 12 hours later, by noon the next day, you have not submitted your video, uh, you're out. We just moved to the next person in line. Fair enough. And that's that's it, it could sound unfair, but it, we're just making it the stipulation for everyone. So if you think that you are going to be top three, you have to video it so we can see that you truly did complete every facet of the challenge. And if you can't prove it, 
congrats on the effort, but we're going to move down for prize money's sake to the next person who can provide video proof. And for you folks who don't uh, think you're capable of, of winning or taking top three, Bracken and I have some special prizes in line for people who don't podium in both of these races. So uh, we will just tell you that it, there's more incentive than just the top three prize money coming your way potentially um, if you're not a top finisher. So uh, there's prizes that filter down further. Um, so to recap, guys, we got 4th of July weekend, that Friday and Saturday, we have the burpee 10K, which is 20 burpees every half mile. And then we have the beer mile, which is basically chugging four 12-ounce beers or non-alcoholic beers uh, before every lap of your mile. Um, it's going to be fun, guys. We're going to uh, sign up on Eventbrite. We're going to link you in our social media on how to get to all that stuff. Uh, but just much like the ultra-virus race, it's very simple format. We're gonna, you're going to upload your data to Strava in our group. That simple. You'll already be registered through Eventbrite. Literally, we made it sound more complicated than it is. It's really freaking simple. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, if you signed up for an obstacle race in your life, you have the capacity to, to work <laughs> your way through this registration. So we'll see you July 4th weekend, and we're going to throw down. Yes, we are. And I think um, we should have the back end of this all up and running by the time you guys are hearing this Tuesday um, if we don't, it will be out like later that like later on Tuesday, if it's not immediately up by the time you are listening to this. And we'll have we a should... social media post. Like the moment it goes live, we'll post on our social media that it is indeed live. And I know there's no real, you know, there's no OCR races going on 4th of July weekend. I don't believe there really usually are. Road races probably aren't going to be happening. Probably not happening. Uh, this is your chance to shine. This is your chance to put in solid effort. You want to grind out your burpee 10K in the morning and then celebrate with a beer mile in the afternoon. I think that's what I'm going to do. Uh, don't be afraid to do that, folks. Um, I think it's going to be a fun day or two. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to power walk, Kirk. And, <laughs> and I might just give myself my own division. Uh, I've seen you drink beer. You might actually place with that power walk. I don't know. If I can keep her down. Yeah, I don't think the uh, the bouncing of the running is going to come into play. So I think you're going to be all right. I might be onto something. All right. Today then now, going to the real topic, which mm -hmm. again is a version of compromise running because that's what we live and breathe here. Heavy carries. We've had a couple guests talk about how they do heavy carries. John Yatsko most recently. And we've had a lot of questions about I know I need to get better at heavy carries, or I know I need to maintain the work I've put in with heavy carries. How is how should how do I need to go about doing that so that I get the most bang for my buck? Um, little mm -hmm. backstory here, Kirk. There is a guy that lives somewhere near my neighborhood. Every single day that we have lived in this house now since last July first, we officially took over. Mm -hmm. Every single day he has walked past our house carrying a brute force sandbag. Really? Every day. He takes his sandbag for a walk every single day. And there are days where he goes past two or three times past our house on the same walk. So like he does varying um, degrees of duration, but I've never seen him run with it. It's just always the same plodding walk. He just grinds it out every day. So that's one option to do it. But I think we'll probably give alternate versions to that. Throughout how, this. how old is this gentleman? He's, he's right around our age. And is he's always walking. He's never running. Always walking. Just has the same cadence down, and he just does this. Wow. My dad one time asked him what he's doing, and he, he like didn't say he was training for a race. This is just a workout he does. Wow. He puts it straight across his shoulders yeah. and just walks. Lumbers. Wow. Lumbers. All right. Yeah. That's your inspiration right there. 
Maybe, but I don't want to do that. So let's find a, a, a way around that today. You know, I did um, I did a heavy carry workout on Thursday this week, which was my first heavy carry workout in a while, which also may be why my legs felt a little bit stiff on Saturday morning uh, for these mile sort of uh, long run. But um, and I did it at a ski hill and I did I did three times up up and down the ski hill uh, running and then one time up and down the ski hill with a heavy carry. And it was one of those days that reminded me of like Palmerton a few years ago. It was 85 degrees out. There was no wind. And I was slipping in my own sweat on the bucket. And I was, it was like, just, it brought me right back to race feel. And I haven't done this or exposed myself to that sort of stimulus recently because we don't have races coming up. And this is what spawned the idea to do a heavy carry episode really is I was, you know, two thirds through that workout and it blew out my back. It blew out my quads and running after doing my heavy carries i was like i am super compromised right now like i don't have my gears left anymore the, the carries have zapped it out of me and and i had forgotten what that feeling was like because we just left it alone recently um and so it brought you know it brought to light how important they were and i was thinking back about when my fitness really was good and i was racing well and i was carrying every single week heavy difficult workouts and it made sense that we need to bring this up because I think a lot of people are leaving this part of their training out right now because of the lack of races. And so it's time to remind you folks that you might not, might uh, start to, uh, you need to start carrying your heavy objects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, philosophically, I look at heavy carries the same way I look at downhill running. I look at it as a skill that has a very physical component to it. And I think both of them need to be front loaded with a decent chunk of work and then maintained over time and sharpened when needed. So Correct. with downhills, I mean, science has shown that with eccentric impact, once you get over the upfront physical damage and skill of it, you can maintain it like every two to three weeks and stay at a really, really high percentage of what your max is. And I believe the same thing happens with carries. I think that when you first come into the sport, you are terrible at this and it takes like a month maybe less for some, maybe more for some, but of intense carry work where you might carry two to three times in a week for a couple of mm -hmm. weeks, and then you get it. And then you can maintain it with once a week, sometimes once every other week for some people. But when you get closer to races like a Palmer 10 or a Killington, you got to kind of bring that back a little bit to resharpen. But philosophically, that's how I look at it. Yeah, I like that. I, I think um, there's a number of you out there who have just put the heavy carries off for, God, I, I want to say probably the last six months or so. Some of you probably never even do them. You just show up to the race and you carry when you have to race and you leave it alone. Uh, I can tell you from experience that true heavy carry workouts with purpose, especially heavy carry workouts that involve incline, make you more fit and they make you more durable and they will make your races go a hell of a lot better. So, um, but you're not just going to one off a, a heavy carry workout uh, like a rock star, this is something that needs to be infused into your program more regularly. In fact, I met uh, I met a buddy of mine at the ski hill on Thursday this week, and I don't think he's been carrying hills or doing any sort of stuff like that. And he's a fit guy. He's a he's a fit guy. Um, you know, top ten contender in a Spartan race, uh, like a local Spartan race. And I bet you on that first bucket carry we did at the same time. It took me five minutes. It probably took him twice that. I would have put five minutes on him in a carry in a race and the race would have been over. That would have been it. And it just reminded me that, um, that those big gaps, we watched the Spartan rewinds back Bracken and you mm -hmm. look at Ryan Atkins come into the double sandbag in fourth to sixth and he comes out in first. You watch uh, how important these, these things are. 
to racing well. So again, all of those things just reminded me uh, of how important uh, getting under a heavy load is. Yeah. So first of all, the first component to the heavy carry is actually the skill work. And that can be accomplished a lot of different ways. The way I work on skill work is I do it when I'm fresh and I do it without doing it with uh, running in between or, okay. or I don't do it with intense running in between. So the first way to work skill work is I do aerobic carry sessions. Um, we, we've talked math before, the maximum aerobic function uh, with heavy drags or pulls. Uh, I do this sometimes my Thursday midweek long runs are, and I, pr I program this a lot for others. And this is what I do when I'm in a carry block where I'm trying to reestablish my skill. And I do workouts where I shuttle back and forth between high end aerobic carrying and aerobic running. And so I'm never really out of breath or gasping or high heart rate, but I'm making sure that every step is perfect. You look at a lot of people in a race and you start to sag to the side with a sandbag or you're moving with it or your back starting to round. These are perfect form days. So you, you can play with how you carry it throughout it, one shoulder, both shoulders, alternating shoulders, but whatever you do, you're stable, you're under control, and every step is perfect because it's skill work. So one, my 1,200, 400, one of my go-to workouts, I carry for 400 meters, um, a sustainable weight that I can move perfectly with, and then I just run aerobically for 400. Mm -hmm. It's a mile of work, and I do that for 40 or 60 minutes and just get skill work in. And then the second skill work I do is while I'm lifting. My finisher to most lifts is a heavy carry um, rep of some sorts, whether it's super overloaded farmer's carry that I can keep up for like 20 seconds and then drop. I might do three to five reps of that or um, getting under a barbell and walking for, you know, five steps forward, five steps back until I have to re-rack and, you know, maybe getting 20 seconds, you know, a really heavy one or um, trap bar deadlift lifting it up and walking with it, doing something, uh, even like a front rack, front squat position and walking with that or lunging with that, something heavy that is just working on the skill of being stable under load. Yeah, it's all, you know, really it's when you're gonna carry and eventually hopefully carry fast, it's about body awareness, how the positioning of the object is, what works best for your body. Um, so I like the point that you made about skill work and not having to work too hard with your carries initially. It's more about putting time in. It's the same thing. If you're working towards a one rep max bench press, you're not going to just sit there and go one rep max off the start. You're going to build a foundation uh, for your strength and then attempt these you know, big efforts. So um, I tell people when they're first starting out uh, to, to carry easy, just like you meant, keep it aerobic. Um, we're not trying to set records or change the world with these carries. We just want to get comfortable feeling that load and that stressor. Um, when I first started carrying, uh, the biggest thing for me, honestly, was positioning of the double sandbag of how my my grip and my lower back responds to different types of bucket carries. Um, even how I gripped uh, dumbbells for farmers carries made a difference, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if I grab it this way versus that way, or if I fully tense up my grip versus try to keep it relaxed, but still run with them. Um, and I made leaps and bounds in the 2018 season because every week I was I was playing around with technique and that helped. So start start easy with this. I agree with that. Start, start aerobic. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and you made a great point with double sandbag carry. That's one that most people have enough general strength to complete it, but it's the specific strength and strategy of the awkwardness of the load that gets people. And that's one that you have to practice so much that you have a plan for every possible 
uh, outcome when you get there in the race, whether they're frozen, whether they're wet, whether they're stacked on top of each other, whether they're on the ground, whether they're pancakes, whether they're tubes. If you play around with all of that, you have a plan for it. And the, the important part of this is to not do something in the carry that you wouldn't be able to do during a race. Um, namely, have it in a spot where you can easily pick it up. When I'm doing the 12-4, they return to the ground every single time I drop them. I don't drop them up on top of a shelf or something where I can grab them easy because half of the skill work is getting the double sandbag from the ground to your shoulders in a efficient motion so that you're not trashed. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of times those objects end up on the ground and you got to pick them back up. So it's good practice. Um, now you may be thinking to yourself, like, I don't need to be carrying. I don't even know what races are coming up. Like, I don't, why would I be carrying? Like, that's just, I don't like it. I don't like to do it. It's annoying. I got to bring all my shit somewhere. You know, the common excuses and barriers to getting these workouts done. Um, I have some thoughts on this, but I'm curious if you do off the top Bracken, uh, why do them? Why in, in a general, in the most general sense of fitness, why even do them if we don't have a race coming up? Well, first of all, everyone knows my take on training at this point, which is I don't ever want to lose anything. I want all pieces present at all times, yep. A, so that I can get good at them and sharpen up quickly when I need to if they said, you have a race next weekend, and B, because it rounds you out physically. If you can carry under load up a mountain, you can run up a mountain. It's such a great basis for strength and for running that I don't see a physical reason why you should ever get away from it and a health reason. Mm -hmm. I um, I was reminded this last Thursday when I did my first ski hill heavy carry workout, the strength component to this, the raw power my quads had to exert to get up a 30% incline under a load was bulletproofing me it may it's going to make just simply running uphill seem easier it is strength work in disguise the the tension in my rear chain lower back hamstrings like that i was sore for a couple days from this and this is strength work in disguise on top of skill work as you talked about on top of being practical for races that eventually will come up so um there's so many reasons to do this and and i actually find when i'm really implementing especially uphill heavy carries regularly bracken that my climbing starts to get better. Even my running starts to get better because I'm just more powerful. Mm -hmm. And, and what it did to my grip to mention in my sweat fest, like after, you know, five minute bucket carry dripping in my own sweat, like it, it rounded out so many aspects you need for OCR. It's almost laughable. And I was just like, I chuckled to myself because I was like, why haven't I been doing this the last couple of months? It's such a dynamic thing to do for what our sport requires. Yeah. And you nailed it with the power output theory there. That we, we talked in the interval episode that I don't like doing 10K and slower, or even 5K and slower intervals, but at, at a shorter bout, the 10K and slower intervals, I didn't like doing 400s and even 800s because you can kind of cheat them. I talked about how you can you can fake your way through it by starting out fast and then easing into it. and then But a thousand or a mile, like you can't fake that. You mm -hmm. have to put your power output the whole time. That's how I feel about running uphill. If you're running up a steep incline, you can run up it. You can kind of float your way up it a little bit. You can kind of flit your legs forward. You don't actually have to be like powering into the ground because you might drop from eight minutes per mile to nine minutes per mile. There are so many different paces of running up a hill that you can be not actively engaging everything and still get up and th be thinking, I'm running up a hill. This is great for me. And it is, but you're losing something. With a carry up a hill, you're either running or you're walking or you're not moving. Like there are only three gears and yep. you can't fake it. 
if you're not driving into the ground, if you're not engaging everything, you can't run up the hill because you can't just like flit and float up the hill with bad form under a load of a carry. It's just not possible. And when you're walking, it's so, it's, it's just easy to see. Like there is no black and white. I mean, it's only black and white. There is no gray area if you're power hiking or if you're really like walking and swaying side to side. And so the carry forces you to be honest with every foot strike you take and you're putting out real power up the hill. And so that when you go back to running, A, your fitness is better and B, you're used to powering off the ground every time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, um, when I neared, it was about 150 foot climb is what I was, what I was doing over about a 10th of a mile. So pretty short, spicy deal. You've been there, Bracken. We've trained at mm -hmm. Highland, uh, Highland Ski Hill before it's here in Minneapolis. Um, the way my calves felt on the last 50 meters, for example, and choosing even little things like, do I fully plant and then, and step forward? Or do I stay on the balls of my feet and step forward? Like little things that, that you don't even really remember because you haven't carried in a mountain race for so long. We're all brought back to light and just thinking about how bulletproofs the, the rear chain, but you're right. I mean, it, you got to think of those. It's a conscious, conscious activation of muscle that um, that you're just, you can't get any other way. I don't know how else to say it. I just don't. Um, so, okay. So you answered my question then pretty well when I, you know, when I, when I had asked about why people should do this, even though we don't have races necessarily coming up. Um, so let's talk then the implements you use when you carry, what are your favorite carry implements and what, uh, which ones you gravitate towards and how much weight? Well, there was a time where I didn't go anywhere in my car without a Spartan pancake in back and a bucket. Now, the bucket kind of got screwed up by putting a lid on it and you can shoulder carry it now. So basically mm -hmm. a sandbag is a bucket. But I still do the bucket carries because it's so cleansing of all your issues in your body, like your mm -hmm. forearms, your fingers, your lower back, your traps, everything gets worked by it. So even if we don't still have to do it that way in a race, it's so hard to walk up a hill <laughs> like that. So I keep that. And, and I, I, I do two styles. I have a light sandbag and I have a heavy sandbag and it's, you know, it's speeder for power. And on these hill days, I'm generally going heavy up the hill. And on other days I'm doing it like my, my 1200, 400 workout or some of my speed carries. I do it lighter and I practice running under that type of load. Okay. And then farmers carry year round because Again, it's just so good for you structurally and for your grip. Yeah, I think that, honestly, probably the most taxing thing, uh, like engine-wise, and and just this like the musculoskeletal like stress, like a heavy farmer's carry where you're trying to move fast, say forty-five pounds on each in each hand. Uh, I'd say twenty-five or thirty pounds if you're a female is miserable. What your quads feel like, what your traps feel like, what your core feels like. It's one of the most fantastic carries I think that most people don't do mm -hmm. to be honest and I believe that when you do heavy weight or you do lightweight and run with it and bounce either one of those are really good preps for mountain racing if you live in flatter areas or non-mountainous areas that hill you're talking about where you gain 150 feet you and I have run up and down that a lot we can run up and down it for a few hours and get a good workout in but if you do half that amount of time with a carry like it's a better workout the pounding you take going down really prepares you for downhill impact. And you take a three minute climb and you turn it into a nine minute climb with a carry. And it's just like you tripled the length of your mountain. And I think mm -hmm. it's important to do that heavy stuff because it makes your time on feet so much more valuable. Yeah, um, I carry, so my implements are a 75 pound bucket 
It's, you know, I say the buckets nowadays are like 50 pounds and 55, maybe in the male men's races. I still keep it as filled to the brim with rocks and then filled in with sand in between. So it's about 75. Uh, I always double sandbag. I never single sandbag. That's for wimps. Uh, so minimum of two 40 pound sandbags or two 50 pound rec bags. So I'm either putting my body under an 80 or a hundred pound load. And then I got 35 pound dumbbells or 45 pound plates for carries. Um, with the bucket, I encourage all my people to carry it the old school way, just like you talked about. Um, you, you basically are getting bucket work in now by taking a sandbag and putting it on your shoulder. It's kind of crossing both, both avenues there. So I create the old, the old way in the front. Uh, even upright is what I did this last week. And again, what it causes your grip to do the way it causes your, especially like your lower erector spinae and your spine, uh, lower back. Um, it's just, you get more bang for your buck. And then it makes racing and putting that thing on your shoulder even seem easier. So mm-hmm. um, I experimented actually, Bracken, and I can climb uphill at less cost if I put that bucket in front of me still and bounce it off my quads with each step it saves a bit of my legs using your own legs as leverage on a carry uphill folks is a real thing with the bucket, by the way. Um, I can carry just a little slower, but much less cost. If I carry it in front of me going up a steep grade, like a real steep grade, I may even do that in a race potentially, but I even learned that this week. But, um, those are the three things that I carry and I'm always carrying heavy and I'm always carrying double sandbags because the one, one sure way to ruin your race is not be prepared for a heavy double. And one sure way to make a single easy in a race is to always carry doubles in practice. So yeah. those are my philosophies. I look at Jack. I always refer people to the Jacksonville race from this year. If they want to see why you need to heavy carry, why you need to spend time heavy carrying, because there were two people there whose race was just broken open by the sandbag carry. And it was Atkins and it was Newell. Yep. Now, Newell ended up missing his spear. Had he not, I think he would have been fighting for the podium because he picked up like nine places on the double sandbag. I mean, on the regular sandbag carry, and Atkins went from right up there to having a commanding lead on it. And both of them looked the same way. Everybody else was carrying a heavy weight, and they were just transporting a heavy weight. Yep. I don't know if that if that, if I'm making the distinction I want to make, but they looked so stable and upright under that load where everyone else is off center access because the weight's making them, you know, move to the side a little bit. And they ran with strong hips on their toes, you know, moving up and down rather than rocking side to side. And they just weren't as affected by it. And they moved faster than everyone else. And you have to be strong to do that but you also have to be comfortable. Like those pathways have to exist and everyone can be that way. Maybe not as fast as they were, but everyone can have those same characteristics where you're straight up and down, your running form doesn't have to change much and you are efficient at it if you just put the time in. Yeah, if you looked at their lower bodies, like from their belly button down, disregarding the sandbag, you would say, oh, that person's out there running seven minute mile pace. And you wouldn't have known there was anything. There wasn't any sandbag shuffle in their stride or cadence. There wasn't um, there wasn't any compromise to their form. Their trunk was holding the sandbag stable. They had clearly gotten comfortable with that load. And it made a big difference. It mm-hmm. did. Yeah, they had they had eyes on those guys. They did a nice job. I I actually face planted in that in that I tripped on a tree root and ended up uh, eating some mud. That was a that was a that was a nasty little carry for those who didn't. That was. Mm-hmm. And and the nastier the ground, the more important it is for you to be stable under the under the weight. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say we we've talked about the skill work 
and now we've talked about a bit of the power work where you're doing hill reps. This is a, this is one that you and I do a lot when we're together. We do it's basically a long run, but it's mm -hmm. with hills and carries, and we're working high output the whole time. But we're it's a compromise session. You're running when you're tired. You're climbing hills when you're tired from carrying up hills, and you're carrying up hills when you're tired from running up and down hills. And I think it's one of those sessions that when you get to Palmerton or you get to New Jersey, or you get to Utah or Tahoe or Killington, these are the sessions that you have staying power on a carry. You have the skill to be able to do it. Now it's paired with, I can put out power and move efficiently when I'm tired. Yeah, um, I will say too that a, a lot of people that aren't at the top end of their carry game, we will call it, tend to let the carry win a little bit. They don't push through the carry as hard as they should. And what that ends up, it's like a catch 22 because it ends up causing you to have to carry the, the implement longer. Mm -hmm. And then you're under more time and more stress. And again, this last week, I, I don't mean to keep going back to it, but I'm halfway through it going, all right, I can either set this down or slow down, or I can freaking hustle and get this out of my hands and just be done with it. And so getting comfortable carrying and then getting comfortable moving hard and fast is only going to decrease the overall damage you take from that carry. And now I'm referring mostly to like mountain steep carries because those are the ones that are really ruining people's lives. But when it comes time to carry and you start getting closer to races that matter and it's a got some elevation or there might be a double sandbag or an aggressive carry, like getting that shit out of your hands is pivotal, which means like when it, when you pick that thing up, you go mm -hmm. like you just uh, comparing my, my buddy I ran with last Thursday, for example, he had to carry that bucket five more minutes than I did. Could you imagine what that would feel like putting yourself under that stress? So instead of wimping out or setting it down or like, I, you got to attack in my opinion, when it comes down to it, because the less time that's on uh, stressing your body, the less overall damage it's going to cause. That's just what I think. And then the other thing I want to point out is I think any real, real carry work should be done mostly on Hills because going up the Hill is going to create a lot of power. Um, and then coming down, you can work on opening things up. The run I was running down the hill with the sandbag, running down with my farmer's carries. And that's going to create that eccentric, just that jarring on the system that'll translate to flat carries anyway. So um, I think I think the kingpin of carries is, is finding something steep to do it on. Um, and that'll translate to flat for you pretty nicely. At least that's what I've found. I agree. And if you don't have that, treadmill works if you trust the motor. And stairwells work really well too. Mm. stairwells, parking garages, whatever you can use. And and the great thing about a carry is that it takes so long to get up even a small hill is that you can use small hills. You can do a carry workout mm -hmm. on a 50 meter hill because mm -hmm. it still takes you a minute or so to get to the top and you just add more weight. If you're doing double sandbag carry up a 50 meter hill, you do three reps of that and that's a long carry. But you're exactly right. Like we talk about pay now or pay later for a lot of things. Carries are pay now and pay later. Like if you pay now, you get it out of your hands. If you don't get that out of your hands, you pay now because it taxes you more and you pay later because you spent so much time doing it. It just, it's compounding interest in a really negative fashion for you. Yeah. And one of my rules for myself is no matter how bad it is, once the carry leaves the ground, it does not touch the ground until I'm done. And I think there have been maybe two 
maybe three carries in my life where I couldn't complete that. And it is the kiss of death. The first time you put a carry down guarantees the second and third time happen. You watch in Tahoe yeah. each year. And this past year I was, I was injured and, oh no, I wasn't injured. I was, I had run the ultra the day before. That's why I wasn't <laughs> racing. And so I was out on course watching and you could just see it. The people who thought I need this rest now were signing their own death certificate because mm -hmm. one led to 10 and suddenly mm -hmm. you've spent 10 more times having to get it back off the ground onto your shoulders. And again, compound interest and it's taking more time. You're not really getting good rest while you're resting because you're panicking and you're stressing about the fact that you're not moving forward. And then whatever rest you just got, you just negate by having to now grab the two sandbags in your hands, clean them up to your shoulders and your hands are already frozen and numb. It's just, it was the kiss of death. Everyone that kept putting it down just lost so much time. So at the expense of whatever else you think is about to happen in training, you have to bulletproof yourself to never put the carry down. Yeah, if you want an example of that, go watch the first uh, couple minutes of John Albin's double sandbag carry at Tahoe, mm -hmm. and watch watch what happens when it he decides to drop them early in the carry and then try to get them back up. Then has to set them back down again, reshuffle, and he did that dance, and he was like three minutes slower than you know the top carriers, and that that cost him the race. I think of setting a carry down the same way I think of power hiking when I'm going up steep grade. As soon as I stop my run cadence and go to a power hike once, it is a cycle I'm going to keep filtering into because um, because I've developed that habit and, and I'm more efficient when I run uphill than power hike. So uh, same thing with the carries. Um, once you set them down, you're going to, if you set it down once, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody just set down a carry once and then get back to it. Once turns into twice, turns into three times. And I look at power hiking the same way. I know the kiss of death for me is once I start power hiking, I'm going to just keep gravitating towards going back to that power hike instead of running through segments I should and kind of works the same way. I think that's a good point to bring up. Um, and you got to train that in training guys. Like once that thing comes up, it does not touch the ground, no matter what you have to do. Um, get comfortable setting that bucket on your knee if you need to take a knee for a second so it's less less space it has to come to get back back up to your waist or shoulder. Um, even there's a rest technique with the sandbag I've used on my one knee again, it's possible. So um, those are good points, Bracken. Yeah, and the John Albert thing, it reiterates uh, what you talked about before with finding your correct technique because, you know, we love John. I, I have a good relationship with him and I don't think he'd be upset with us using him as an example uh, he was the example of what happens when you don't practice him. He was he was the best mountain runner there, and he didn't win the race because of the carry. He also missed his spear, but the carry because he did not get it onto his shoulders. And I was yelling at him to take another ten seconds and get the carry situated, but he couldn't hear me. He was trying to he was scrambling back from missing his spear and doing burpees and trying to catch up. And he was in, you know. I don't know, panic mode, but he was in scramble mode and he just got them up and started moving. And you could see from the start, that's not sustainable. And he had to reshuffle them and he didn't have a technique for it. And they hit the ground. And as soon as they hit the ground, you're right. It just compounded and it was a mess until he got through. And he didn't lose that race by, by very much, but he lost by about half as much time as he lost on that carry. It was, right. it was the kiss of death. So yes, you need a technique to get them off the ground efficiently. You need a technique to keep them on your shoulders. And then you need the mindset to, once they're up, they stay up and they do not come down. 
Yeah, I think I think the biggest place a lot of people miss the mark, honestly, is the technique portion of the whole thing. Um, if you're training hard, you're probably, you know, maybe doing some carrying at some point, especially before a big race. But technique is king, finding out what's comfortable and works for your body. And you'll see a number of different techniques out there. Even if you watch again the Tahoe race, the number of techniques that were used by some of the top guys. But playing around with that, I'll purposefully, you know, try a new technique and try to finish a carry climb and compare times. I've done a number of, of time comparisons in different modalities and then what mm -hmm. fatigues the quickest. Sometimes the flashiest carry isn't always the right choice because it then compromises me afterwards too much, for example. So um, working with those, that is important. Now I wanna do two things, Bracken. One, I want to um, I want to give people some specific carry workouts to do, the ones that we enjoy doing. But, um, but first I wanna just cover how often you think people should be carrying um, to get the most out of it. I know we alluded towards you front load a program mm -hmm. and then you can maintain. What are your thoughts on how often people should be carrying like true carry focused workouts? I think that a true carry focused workout where that's like the crux of the workout, I think every other week is enough. Yep. If you're also doing something and maybe not if, but I think that's enough. But I think that the, like if those are the odd weeks on the even weeks, I think some aerobic carry skill work is important too. And then I think you're good. I think that that is enough that when you get close to a race, then one of the, the races that you know big carries are coming, then you can do it two times, three times a week for just two to three weeks prior and you're set. Mm -hmm. I think I think every other week for a carry focused workout is is the prescription and then once a week for, with a carry finisher. Mm -hmm. You used to assign, when I first started with you, you assigned... Um, I don't know if you assign this anymore, but this one sucked ass. And it would be after my midweek long run on Thursdays. And so I'd do like an eight mile midweek long run at like an, a moderate, you know, effort. And then I'd finish with a mile farmer's carry with 45 pounds in each hand. Well, I can only make it four tenths of a mile before I have to set them down the first time because I'm shot. And that mile ends up taking you 15 minutes and even averaging like 160, 170 beats per minute because you're moving as quick as you can to get it done, the way it taxes your grip, yada, yada. So a lot of times uh, I like to have a finish, and that taught me like the value, like the, the suck fest of the carry finisher. So get your run done. As soon as you finish your run, go into five to 10 minutes of a carry. Um, just nice and steady even is fine once a week. And then every other week implement like a 90 minutes like hill circuit carry circuit workout and you're going to have everything you need i think it, with that combination mm -hmm. and i think if you had to only do one thing i think you could get away with hill finishers where you get done with a hill workout and you do you have to accumulate eight minutes of carry or six minutes of carry and early on in the season you're getting a minute at a time and by the end you might get the whole eight minutes or finish a speed session and you've got one mile hard carry finish a long run and you finish with a one mile carry, something like that. I think carrying while fatigued is the best bang for your buck. If I had to do only one thing, that would be it. But I do still love those, those big hill workouts we do. And in yeah. fact, one of the workouts I like is called Big Hill or Big Stair. <laughs> I'm really creative with a lot of my naming. You are. And Big Stair, I'll give a specific workout here. This is one I use for stadiums because you get your stair climbing and your carries. And then I use it um, for a hill version if I'm doing sprints or supers. And it's two minute of hill running, two minute of hill carrying, four minute run, four minute carry, six minute run, six minute carry. Oh, that's big. And then I repeat for however long I want to do it for, but I stay high end aerobic the whole time where okay. I'm breathing fast but I'm never gasping. Maybe towards the end of the heavy carry, I'm gasping towards the end because it takes so much power, but you can do it as two, one time through for time. 
and make it a super anaerobic workout, or you can do it for a 60 or 70 minute big stair workout and keep it high anaerobic the whole time. You can do it as a 30 minute standalone tempo run, but that, that ladder up and you can bring it down or just repeat that cycle. The big stair is one of my go-tos. Okay. Do you do that? uh, Where do you do that? Do you do that at the Concordia? Yeah, I do. I do it at Concordia. And I've also done it at a, a local football stadium where I just have, you know, it has 30 stairs to get up and down. And so I go up and down one for two minutes and then I carry up and down that. And then I snake up and down for four and then snake up and down for six. And it's, it's the kind of thing where you'll never do that amount of volume of carrying in a race, but your, your, your stair running or your hill running just gets so bulletproof by doing it. Yeah. Um, so we covered, you know, every other week for a true focus suck fest. And then once a week for a carry finisher, something I want to add, um, is there's probably a lot of you like CrossFit guys out there, gym bros out there who hit the weights and say, I already hit the weights. Like I don't need to be carrying. Like I do deadlifts and I squat and I shoulder press and I'm tough. Like I got the gym. I don't need to carry. You're dead fucking wrong. Just so you know, you're dead wrong. I, you know, came into the sport 10 pounds heavier than I am now. And I was just way stronger than, than I am now. And myself today would run circles around myself of old on the carries. You need to put yourself under that specific stressor. It is not the same as deadlifting. Those are accessory lifts that will help, but I am telling you like body positioning and, and all of that comes into play with the heavy carries. And if you just simply think that lifting in the gym is going to have you covered, you are dead wrong. And I'm speaking from personal experience. Now you're going to hear later this week from Faye Stenning, who I believe does all of her, uh, she doesn't do carry work. She only does gym work. And I'm going to combat her on that a little bit. I'm going to bring it up. Um, but point being is the gym does not replace heavy carries. And I can tell you that with 100% certainty. Has that been your experience, Bracken? It has. If I look at the men's side of the sport, and I only do that because I have a more intimate relationship with the guys on this side because I've spent more time rooming with them, traveling with them, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If I had to make, we talk about the Mount Rushmore, the Mount Rushmore of heavy carries in the sport. I would say it is Ryan Woods, mm-hmm. Ryan Atkins, Cody Moat, um, Hunter McIntyre, and Hobie Call. Out of that list, Hunter McIntyre is the only one who lifts a lot. Ryan actually, Woods actually lifts it all, really. Yeah, Ryan Woods does some lifting, but it's a lot of EMOM stuff, a lot of AMRAP stuff. It's enough to get him so that he can do tires when he's fatigued and to just kind of bulletproof his body. But he does run carries. In fact, he and Brian Gowiski have like a monthly one-mile sandbag race just to stay on top of their stuff. So Ryan Woods is, I would say, probably the fastest carrier in the sport across the board right now. And Ryan Atkins is probably right up there with him. Hobie was always great, and he weighed 145 pounds. Mm-hmm. He did not do real weightlifting. He would do strength endurance circuits. Cody Moat was probably the most underrated heavy carrier of all time because he wasn't good at doubles. But as far as buckets and sandbags went, he'd have the fastest split at every race he went to. And that fifth person, I'm not even remembering who I said at first, but who was uh, it? You had Woods, Woods Moat, Atkins, Hunter, and, and Hobie. And, and so oh, Hunter's yeah. the outlier. Hunter's the outlier in every single thing he does in life. That's true. So of that entire group, you have one power lifter amongst them. Ryan Atkins is a very strong athlete. The rest are all pound for pound strong with huge engines who have paired it with the technical skill of being able to translate that engine into carrying something heavy up and down a mountain. 
I will argue that Cody Moat is a great double sandbag carrier. When he won Tahoe in 27, no, 2018, by like four minutes, he put like two minutes on Killian on the double sandbag there and broke the race wide open, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yes, point being, guys, uh, nothing substitutes carrying. Absolutely nothing. I don't care. You can fight me on it. I'll, I'll brawl you to the death on that one. And I'm speaking again from complete firsthand experience with that being a gym bro transition into an OCR athlete. I'm going to do a Matt Davis here. I got a hot take for you, Kirk. Hot take. If I had to choose between all lifting or just doing burpees, pull-ups, and heavy carries, that's what I would choose. I would I would give away all my weights and only do obstacle-specific movements, pulling my body weight up, burping off the ground, and carrying heavy weight, and I think I would be a better overall racer than if I never touched carries or burpees or and only did weight weight room work. Easy decision. I would do the same thing without question. Yeah. So maybe it's not a hot take, but it will be one that a lot of people don't want to hear that you are better off carrying than you are deadlifting if you are only looking at race performance. 100%. I think, I mean, I don't think a lot of people would easily agree with you that maybe haven't put the time in that we have, but um, easy answer for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've sort of alluded at some of these then Bracken, but let's talk about specific workouts. Again, Mm -hmm. we sort of filtered these throughout, throughout the conversation. Um, I'm going to give you, you know, two off the, off the top of my head that are, I would say I, I come back to. And, uh, the one is what I did last week, which is I find a ski hill, a spicy hill, somewhere between hundred to 150 feet of gain. That's a steep, aggressive grade, um, that hits 30% at some points. And, and I'm going to run up and down the ski hill three times. I'm working moderate. I'm not like descending like a madman. I'm just going nice and steady ready to work. And then when I hit that, so I go up and down the ski hill three times running, and then I go up and down one time with the carry. Now I'm working easy to moderate on my running, but then when that fricking bucket gets in my hands, that's go time. So I'm running easy to moderate. I'm carrying hard. I like to put that on my Thursdays, a midweek long run. I'll spend 70 to 90 minutes doing that. Just up and down three times, carry once up and down. And I just rinse and repeat. It's a nice steady grind. Um, but the focus of that workout is hard on the carries, easy on the on the running or moderate. You can only climb so easy, in my opinion, when you're right. running. And then the other one I'll do, if we do have a, a flat race coming up, sometimes I'll do the simple 10 and 5. I'll run 10, 10 minutes aerobic, and then I'll carry five minutes hard, and I'll rinse and repeat that. I'll just pick like a, a loop, and I'll just, you know, kind of just circle around. Uh, those are the two that um, I will – regularly filter in um, my program. And then there's a, a number of other fancier ones, which maybe we can talk about, but what are some of your initial like simple staples that you go to back in? I do that same three to one and we've done oh. it together. That's probably why we both like yeah, that. Probably, we've yeah. always done that, but that three, no matter what my hill is um, kind of a three to one ratio. If it's a 50 meter hill, then I'll do nine times up and down and then three times up and down with a carry. But I like that three to one steady long. That's kind of like my long run session or a moderate mm-hmm. long run. That is, I'm going over an hour. It's it's generally a 90 minute to, you know, prepping for Killington or Tahoe might be a two and a half hour session, but that's, that's my long steady work. My threshold work is generally big stair, big hill, that two, four, six ladder. And then my, um, the other one, of course, the dog loop, the John Yatsko, that's more of an off season one for me. Yep. But then if I really want to crank up and go, if I'm getting ready for short course or stadium, or I just like a Jacksonville where I think I'm going to have to run fast. I do the terrible two mile. You okay. ever, you remember the terrible two? No, you never, I've never, we've never discussed it. So, okay. So it's 400 meter run, 400 meter carry times four. Oh, 
That's a big one. And you're going hard. It's for time. Yeah. So it's, it, you're, you're cranking it. So, you know, I might go out in 70 for the first quarter and then immediately pick up my bucket 400. 400 run, 400 sandbag, 400 run, 400 double, 400 run, 400 farmer's carry. And then I just repeat carries. I'll, I'll hit the bucket twice usually in a sandbag twice and a farmer's and a double. And it's just four times. So the whole thing is predicated around moving as fast as I can with whatever implement I'm holding. And that transition is always tough and forcing myself on the back nine of that. You know, I, I always do out and backs in my neighborhood with this and turning around and working with the sandbag or the bucket back. Like it takes a real concerted mental effort to stay at a nine out of 10 rather than slipping down to like a seven or an eight on a maintainable stride with a carry. Like forcing myself to overextend really gets me ready to crack the whip on race day. That one would suck. Yeah, that, that one would suck. Short and sweet. Something you assigned was carry benchmarks years ago when we first started. And I really like this one to compare um, how you're actually progressing with carries. And and I'll, even though it was your brainchild, I'm going to explain it. Um, and that is simple. You take a 70 pound bucket if you're a man or what, a 50 pound bucket if you're a woman, I believe it was 45 pounds. Yeah. A uh, double sandbag of two 40-pound sandbags, and then a farmer's carry. You can pick 35 or 45 pounds uh, in each hand. And so you go to the track, and you've got your three implements with you, and you go as far as you can in five minutes with the bucket. And when five minutes is up, you set it down, and you record the distance you traveled. Then you rest a full five minutes, and then you go four minutes with the double sandbag as far as you possibly can, an all-out effort. Set it down, record that distance, rest four minutes and then three minutes with the farmer's carry as far as you possibly can. These are all out efforts, mm -hmm. all out five with the bucket, all out four minutes with the double, all out three minutes with the farmer's carry. And then you add up your total distance you traveled for those three carries. And that's that's your benchmark. That's how good you are at carries at the moment. Now, when we started that bracket, I think I ended up having high score on those. I don't really mm -hmm. remember. But when I first started, let's say I covered 1,800. A mile was good. The first time through 16, 1,700 meters was like, top of the class. Yep. And I remember I was somewhere in the 16th. So I had to set the bucket down like three times. My lower, I hadn't carried much before. That was my, when I was transitioning from my gym bro days into real functional work. And I think it went 16 or 1700 meters in that first carry. My lower back was completely blown out at the end of that bucket. My grip was too. I had to set it down a number of times. And I think when I benchmarked that the next time I went to 1900 meters. And by the third time, I think I covered 20, two or 2,300 meters in that amount of time. And now if you think about that, folks, let's just say I went from 1,700 my first benchmark to 2,200 my last benchmark. And that was in like a three-month span. I covered 500 more meters in, what does that come out to, like 12 minutes of time? I mean, I would have, yeah. I would, I would have changed. It would have been a race changer for me. And think how much time it takes to go 500 meters with a carry. You would have been, what, two minutes ahead, three minutes ahead of yourself in a race already just off the carries. That's what I'm saying. And that all that was, was putting in high end applicable work. I was carrying on a regular basis, doing either the carry finisher that we talked about or like a dog loop or that, you know, three, three to one ratio carry, carry to run. And then I tested that much faster. I think it was between three tests. I think we initially tested, I tested like a month or two later and then a final one a month or two after that. The new Kirk, became an actual threat on the carries. Mm -hmm. And it was only because I just constantly practiced that skill. And here's the difference between that and weight room gains on a carry. If you were to gain three minutes on a carry in the weight room, you would lose those three minutes back on the run. Yeah. But the Kirk who was practicing carries and got better at carries was the same runner, but probably stronger on the hills.
Do you know what's funny is I was, uh, I backed my lifting from three days a week to two days during that phase. I stopped deadlifting because I have a bulge disc in my lower back and I don't deadlift at all anymore. If that's a little factoid for you, but, um, I was deadlifting less and none. I started slowing that down. I was lifting less. In fact, my raw strength had gone down the shitter during this time period because I was focused on racing yet. My carries were laughably better. So point being, I was weaker by raw strength. If you put me in the gym and made me do bent over rows or deadlifts or even squats at that point, I remember, but my carries, it didn't matter. I was a stud on the carries comparatively. And that was another, you know, check in the column of the gym doesn't translate to, to carries. So, exactly. yeah. Um, any other workouts that you like to, to No, do? other than that, it's random, not random, but it's uh, ad hoc finishers you know, a minute hard or a mile hard or just ending things with fatigue carries. But I think if you're doing those three things, if you're doing your gym and your aerobic day skill work combined with some long grindy efforts in a few short spicy things, I think you're set for any carry. And then it's just simply pairing those carries to your race. So if you're doing, um, if you're doing the terrible two mile before a stadium, you're set. And then Killington comes up, you now do that on your incline trainer or up and down 400 meters of your steepest hill. You just translate to the terrain, like anything else we do. You translate to the terrain you're about to race on as you get closer to the race. Yeah, it's very true. And, that, and we both do that as the season goes on. Some One workout too, if you want to, something that we didn't touch on really actually, Bracken, is we, a lot of times, I mean, most of the workouts I remember you and I getting together to do on the weekends are these carry long runs where we mm -hmm. might put in three hour efforts uh at a ski hill or wherever we can find here locally but um we're implementing carries so a lot of times bracken and i will spend the first 60 minutes of a long run doing quality efforts where we may do you know what we call shoots and ladders where we're, we're ascending hard and descending hard and then recovering doing actual interval work to to sort of set up our long run so we'll do 60 minutes of high-end work and then go right into our three times ski hill run one time ski hill carry and end up accumulating two to three hours of work but we start it with high end we fatigue ourselves and then we go into a carry and we're getting all the benefits of everything a long run a carry workout high quality interval session and it's a nice way to put a bow tie on a long session when you need to work your carries is uh, filtering them into a long run the second half of a long run after some quality work initially you do that a lot still don't you um i, I save those for big weekends there's this uh Renato Canova, is, I've talked about him a bit. He's this Italian uh, distance running, he's a guru. Anything from 800 meters up to a marathon, he's coached Olympians and world champions at. And he has this thing called a special block where you, in your training, it's it's like where you put the bow tie on you, all the work you've done. And one of them is he has this weekend when you where you do like for this day, it's it's basically your, it's hell week in a day. And so for his marathoners, they might be doing three by 10K hard in the morning, three by 10K in the afternoon. Oh, You know, they're doing a big special block of work where it's designed to rip you apart, tear you down. It puts the bow tie on. You come in rested and you take a lot of rest after, but it's like a big effort that takes you to a new plateau of mental and physical readiness. And that's how I treat those workouts. I don't do them all the time, but when I do them, I make sure that they are turning me inside out like a race weekend would. So that like the last one we did, I think we did 10 times 30 or 60 seconds hard up the mountain. We did 30, 30 up for four climbs. I think we did 2,800 feet of ascending in that because there were 700 foot climbs. We had 30, 30 seconds, seconds, 
30 seconds on, 30 seconds like power hike as fast as you can. 30 Float seconds in parentheses. That was a miserable workout, by yeah. the way. That workout fucking sucked. So we went really anaerobic, like faster than VO2 max, really, really depleted. And that could have been a workout there. And then we switched into high end aerobic carrying and climbing for another 4,000 feet of gain for the day. And that's not a smart workout re on a repeatability basis, but as a once every six to eight weeks thing, that's the kind of thing that keeps you race ready. Yeah. And then a three hour Tahoe or West Virginia race, uh, your body's felt the intensity of those stressors in training. I like to throw that one at the end of a big build before a deload week. We've done that workout together a number of times, something starting with high end work and then finishing with steady carrying and climbing work. Love that. I always feel really shattered by that, but then really ready for beast effort races after that. That's our three weeks out from our big championship race. It's the, mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of running a hard half marathon three to four weeks before a marathon world championship or something like that. Yeah. Love that one. Um, what else do we have to add to this uh, carry conversation? Anything you can think of? Physically? No. Mindset is the one thing that I really want to drive home on this and that this is, this is your 10,000 hour process, right? Now you don't need 10,000 hours for carry, but that mindset, like you're by the end of it, you are going to be so efficient and good at this, but you have to go in knowing that your only purpose is accruing those hours when you start this off. You're going to be dropping the bags a ton. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Your lower back's going to be screaming. Your first two or three weeks or more, it's going to be really bad. And that's okay. You just say, okay, I'm just going to embrace the bad part because I'm going to be good eventually. But don't go in expecting these to be these great empowering workouts because they're not until they are. Mm -hmm. Like you just accept the fact that you're going to wipe the slate clean after every workout until suddenly you realize you don't have to wipe it clean anymore. It's just there and you have it. Expect, yeah, expect it to, to be bad. Expect to be humbled. Exactly. That's mm -hmm. a good, it's a good point. And I remember going back to when I started these all, I was humbled. I was humbled. In fact, my first race ever was Chicago. I think I might've alluded towards this episodes and episodes ago. We got to the traditional bucket carry and I was with Brian Gowiski, Mike Ferguson, and Robert Killian was only like five seconds ahead of us still. And I'm looking at these guys like Mike Ferguson and Killian and Killian looked a little soft to me at the time. And I was like, I'm going to crush these guys on this bucket. And I'm going to, I was like, I still think I'm going to win this race. It's a five mile sprint. We were two and a half miles in. And I'm like, oh shit. I got to the bucket and Killian put 30 seconds on me. Mike and Brian Gowiski put 20 seconds on me. And I got spit out the freaking back. That was the first time I carried anything. Um, talk about being humbled. I literally went into that carry in the moment with an ego. And I came out feeling like a little B-I-T-C-H. Uh, proof in the pudding right there. And again, Jim Bro days, not carrying anything to now. So um, well, we can put a bow tie in that conversation with that example right there. Um, let's uh, remind the listeners of what's coming up, Rack, and what do we got in the works for the weekend of the 4th? July 4th. Everyone's used to running road races on the 4th, and so we're going to give you that opportunity. The running public, beer mile, and or burpee 10K. Oh, man, I am excited. Just pay attention to social media to – to see us release the specifics on that, but uh, excited to do that. We would love a big turnout for this. All of the race uh, registration fees, other than the back end stuff, is going back into the, the top three men and women for both races. We're not taking any profit. In fact, this is going to be hours and hours of our time that we're just putting into this to put on a fun event for you guys. Um, and also, Toddle or Todd L455. Don't forget to reach out about that free month of coaching. Congratulations on winning that. And thanks to all who wrote. Uh, reviews this last month uh, made me blush on a couple of them. Really appreciate the kind words and just taking the, the time to do that. 
So one other thing that I'm getting ahead of, uh, getting ahead of the ball on this one, we don't have race codes for this. We don't even know how to make that. All right. So, so don't come messaging us. Be like, Hey man, we're buddies. Like give me 50% off or give me a free entry. Like we don't know how to do that. We've, we've never put on a race before. And you know what? We don't want to learn how to do it for this one. We're just putting this event on. You can be a part of it if you want to. You cannot be a part of it if you want to. Like anyone can join the Strava group and show up and post a time. But the only person that counts on the leaderboard is if you've registered through Eventbrite. So we're not forcing you to pay, but we're not giving anyone a discount. We don't know how to do it. <laughs> All right. We're just, we're just doing this thing. This is our first time. Get over it. There are no free entries. No hand me outs. Um, Bracken, so I'm thinking of running, you know, one or both of these things myself. Am I included? Can I can I win prize money in this bracket or can I not? If you register. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a code for you. Can you <laughs> you don't shit? All those Spartan codes you racked up back in the day for podiuming, those are no good. I am empty. I've given all of those away. Oh man, I bet you regretted that when you turned down the Spartan Pro contract. Oh, I started scrambling like, hey man, I know I gave you this code. Do you <laughs> any chance I can buy that? <laughs> <off you?" laughs> okay, that could be a tangent. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Register for these races. I'm telling you, it's gonna be a good time. We'll see you July 4th. Throwing down some brewskis. See you, folks. Thank you.